Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Open with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you today uh, asking that you would work in our hearts and our lives today. God, would we just see the beauty of Jesus um, from your word, and would we uh, be true worshipers of you uh, in all that we do? Um, would it, um, the, the, the cross of Jesus, would it impact our hearts and our lives today? And uh, we just ask for, for you to work in this place today. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. That's a quote from an author named David Foster Wallace. Uh, this is part of a commencement speech that he gave to graduating students of Kenyon College in 2005. He ended up dying in 2008. Um, to my best uh, knowledge, the best of my knowledge, he was not a follower of God. Perhaps he was not even a follower of any religion in particular at all. But what he did seem to understand is part of the understanding of what it is to worship. He understood that worship is what we truly live for. He understood that we have the ability to choose what consumes our attention he understood that delighting in things in this world that don't last will always leave you empty. Here's a little bit more from that speech. He says, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. He says, worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve, grieve you. Worship power, you end up feeling weak and afraid and you will never ever, you will, you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Today, I pray that we would see that Jesus is the only thing that is worth our worship. I want us to explore what true worship is, and I want us to delight in worshiping Jesus because he has designed us for worship, and we were meant to delight in him. Today, we're, we're beginning a new series called Disciple. Uh, and what we're doing in it is we're exploring what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? This is a six-week series. And throughout this series, we're going to be looking at six characteristics or six qualities that all followers of Jesus should possess. I'm going to begin by sharing them with you all. So these are six characteristics that disciples of Jesus should possess. And this is what we're going to be exploring throughout the series. So first, disciples of Jesus are worshipers. 
disciples of Jesus worship God. This is what we're going to be talking about today, and so we're going to pack that a little bit more as we go on. Next is family members. So disciples of Jesus are family members. This means that when you begin to follow Jesus, you are adopted into a family, which is the church. Being a family member concerns your relationship with God's people. So disciples of Jesus are family members. Next, disciples of Jesus are stewards. This concerns your relationship with God's resources. And this means that everything that we have belongs to God. Everything that we have is a gift given from God. And as disciples of Jesus, we seek to be wise and responsible with what we've been given. So disciples of Jesus are stewards. Disciples of Jesus are also servants. So being a follower of Jesus means that we sacrificially give our time and our talents to serving Jesus, the church, and others. And so this concerns your relationship with work. Disciples of Jesus are servants. Next, disciples of Jesus are witnesses. Being a witness concerns your purpose in God's plan to reach the nations. This means that when we recognize all that Jesus has done for us, we will want to share that with others in our lives. The gospel isn't meant for us to just hold on to ourselves, but to be shared liberally as we delight in what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives. And then finally, disciples of Jesus are students. So this concerns your desire to know God more from his word. This means as God is eternal, we are never done learning about who he is. God desires for us to know him, and we seek to know him and learn more about him as we read scripture and we have a relationship with him. So disciples of Jesus are students. So these are the qualities that we are going to be exploring more in depth in this series called Disciple. Worshipper, family member, steward, servant, witness, and student. In addition, this is not just a six-week series about discipleship, but what we're going to be doing is we want to bring this language into our discipleship groups here at Renaissance so that we are actively seeking to develop these qualities within ourselves and one another. So if you are in a discipleship group, we discussed this on Friday at the members gathering about how we aim to incorporate this into our times of discipleship. And the purpose is that we would be helping develop one another in every one of these areas. In addition, uh, David and I this year plan to meet with all of those who here are members twice a year and so that we can help to encourage and empower you in these areas. We'll ask you questions like, how is your discipleship going? Are there any ways that we can empower you in these areas? How can we help you belong to this church? How can we help you delight in Jesus? How can we help you use your resources wisely, serve others in your life, and learn more about Jesus? Because we believe that when we set our eyes on Jesus, we're going to be transformed more and more in each one of these areas. And I pray that in this, we're going to see an abundance of spiritual life here at Renaissance. If you're not yet in a discipleship group, or maybe yours has fizzled out over the past few months, I want to encourage you to, to get connected again. David and I would love to, to talk to you and help you find a group. And as you're considering it, we'll ask you to reflect 
on these questions. How can I grow in each one of these areas and become more and more like Christ? And how can I do this with others within this church here? That being said, I want us to get into our topic for today. Today, we're talking about as disciples of Jesus, we are worshipers. As disciples of Jesus, we are worshipers. Let me ask you guys this to begin. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the word worship? What do you guys think of when, when I say the word worship? What do you think of? Singing. Yeah. I would say probably most of us associate worship with singing or praise to God. And absolutely, right? We, we can worship God with, with songs and praise, and we should. This is 100% worship. However, worship goes much deeper than this. Worship includes many other things, and I want to help us to define that for us today. So in the Bible, uh, the word worship is often associated with paying homage or reverence to something or someone. So it's giving, giving respect to something or someone. Our English word worship, it comes from the idea of being worthy. Uh, worship is about the worthiness of God or his worship. Therefore, while worship, again, is often associated with singing and music, it is about, uh, is about much more than that. It is about our entire lives. Everything that we do is in response to the worthiness of God. Is God worth my time? Is he worth my attention? Is God worth following in this situation? Over the, the holidays this past couple of weeks, uh, my family and I we went back to, to visit some family in Winnipeg. And while we were there, some of our family, they wanted to play some board games. And uh, we played this one game called Masterpiece. Does anyone know it? Masterpiece? I didn't. Well, yeah, you were there. Yes. Um, yeah. It's a pretty old game, and I, I kind of assumed most people would not be familiar with it. But we played it. It's kind of a nostalgic thing for some of the people in uh, Melissa's family. And so what you do um, in this game that we played, in it, you, you have a bunch of these paintings. They're not real paintings, okay? But they are, they're like these pictures of these paintings. And you're supposed to bid on them based on how much you thought that they were worth. Okay, so there is one painting out there that's worth a million dollars. There uh, are a couple uh, of, on the other side of things that they're, they're forgeries and they're worth nothing. And, and then every other painting is kind of in between that number. It's like there's a whole bunch that are like between zero and a million. And the thing was that you don't know how much any of them are worth. And so as you play, what happens is a painting goes up for auction. And, and everyone bids based on what you think that it is worth. And sometimes you end up paying more than it's worth, and sometimes you pay less than what it's worth. And at the end of the game, you like total up like how much you made and how much uh, you have in paintings and all this kind of stuff and in cash. Pretty fun game. Uh, every, every time uh, there's a bid in this game, though, what you have to do is you have to think, how much am I willing to invest? Right? Is this worth what I'm paying for it. And similarly, in our day-to-day -day grind, we answer this question all the time. Whether conscious or unconscious, by our actions and the way we live, we are answering the question of God's worthiness. How much am I willing to invest in my relationship with God? Is God worth spending my time with? Is Jesus worth following right now? Am I willing to invest? 
will I give him my entire life? This is all worship. You answer this question when you begin your day by reading your Bible. You answer it when you go throughout the day without praying to God. You answer it when you speak harshly to your spouse. You answer it when you raise your children to love Jesus. You answer it when you share the gospel at work. You answer it when you spend hours of your day scrolling YouTube or Instagram to get that next dopamine hit. You answer it when you gossip about a neighbor or a coworker, and you answer it when you cannot help but sing his praise because of the joy he fills your heart with. In everything that we do, we are answering the question of God's worth. Is he worth following? Is he worth my time? This is why we're beginning this series with this topic, because everything else in this series flows out of a heart of worship being a family member, a part of his church, being a steward, being a servant, being a witness, and being a student of God. How we live in all of these areas tells the world what we think is worth it, or in other words, what we worship. So I want us to explore more about that as we go through um, some scripture for today. My main point that I want us to see today is this. Disciples of Jesus worship him with their hearts and with their lives. Disciples of Jesus worship them with their hearts and with their lives. Let's look at the the first part of that sentence. Disciples of Jesus worship worship him with their hearts. Turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 15. So in Matthew 15, what we see is Jesus... He's having a conversation with the Pharisees and the scribes. I want to read uh, for us from verse 1 to to verse 9. It says this. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. He says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the scribes, these, are, these would, would have been the super religious people. Right? They would have been regarded very highly by people um, in that day because of how they presented themselves. They were the most educated in the scriptures. They were quite observant to God's law. But the thing was, was that they also wanted to make sure that everyone else knew that about them, right? They, they wanted everyone to know that they were the most religious people. And so they would do things that would make themselves seem more devout. They had all these other traditions and they would they make up a bunch of extra excuse me, they would make up a bunch of extra rules that they would observe in order to be seen as better than others or to be seen in better standing with God. And so in the section of of Matthew, they ask Jesus a question about his disciples. They say this. They say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. So 
This is their concern, is that the disciples are not keeping the religious traditions because they don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, this is not commanded anywhere in Scripture, right? The Bible never says, thou shalt wash your hands before every meal. It is not a spiritual matter. It is probably a good rule for personal hygiene, though, right? We would agree with that. Why are the Pharisees bringing this up here, though? What's, what's their real concern? They want to be seen as more religious because they keep the traditions of the elders and, and Jesus' disciples do not. The Pharisees keep the law, even though it is not God's law that they're claiming to keep, but they're trying to appear as though they go above and beyond God's law. They wash their hands. Why don't the disciples? And so they want to be seen as righteous because they think they are doing more than the law. And what Jesus does is he confronts them. Uh, he, he responds by confronting them, right? He says he, he confronts them because what they're actually doing is holding their own traditions higher than Scripture. He uses this example where they were teaching that people didn't always have to honor their mother and father. And what they're saying is like, there's some exceptions where you don't have to do this. And the thing about that is that these exceptions aren't in Scripture. They don't exist. But again, what they're doing is they're holding people to a standard that is not in Scripture. They're holding them to their own standard. And so whether it is doing more than the law or less than the law, they hold people to a different standard than what God's standard is. And so this is what Jesus says. He says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What is he saying in all this? Jesus is confronting them on an issue of worship. He's addressing them about where they find their worth. Is their worth found in God? Well, as much as they, they want people to think it is, it is not. While they seem to do all the right things and say all the right things, their heart is far from God. They don't truly find their worth in him. They find it in what others think of them. And so Jesus says it doesn't matter if you think you're doing more than what Scripture requires. If your heart is not in the right place, then you are worshiping in vain. Your worship does not matter if it is not from the heart. This means that we can be the kindest people. We can give every fourth Saturday to volunteer our time at the food bank. We can give 15% of our income as a tithe. We can open our home to people week after week. We can come here on a Sunday. We can gather and sing worship songs. And we can say, we worship Jesus. But if our heart is not in the right place, it means nothing. It is in vain. It is not worth it. Worship, in fact, it is worthless. Jesus says, this people honors me with their lips, but what matters is their heart. They say all the right things. They claim that they follow God. In fact, everything that anyone would ever know about them from looking on the outside would say, these are the most devout followers of God. And yet, their heart is far from him because they seek to be seen as righteous according to their own standards and not according to God's. So how do we know if our heart is in the right place? How do we know if we are truly valuing what is right? Because the thing is, the Pharisees looked as though they were worshiping God. And as far as they were concerned, 
they thought that they were worshiping as, him as well. But evidently, they were not worshiping rightly. And you might be here today and say, I'm not sure if I'm worshiping rightly. How do I know if my heart is in the right place? Follow me to, to John chapter 4, the book of John. It gives us some good insight here. In this fourth chapter of John, Jesus is in a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And he speaks to her about worship. Let's take a look at what he says. Um, we're going to be in, in uh, John 4, verses 23 to 24. It'll be on the screen as well. He says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So according to Jesus, true worship is worship that is both in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? Let's take a look at them. Let's start with the latter one. True worship begins in truth. This means that our worship must be grounded in who God truly is, his true character. We may think that this is self-evident, right? But it is probably far less commonly lived out than we even realize. Think if you've ever heard someone something like this before. God just wants me to be happy. Therefore, I can choose to be in a relationship with whoever I want and do whatever I want in my relationship. God doesn't judge my sin. Therefore, I can live however I want. God doesn't care if I'm a part of a church or whether I read my Bible. All that matters is that I know him personally. God just wants me to be a good person. All that matters is that my good deeds outweigh my bad ones. All of these are lies that we tell ourselves that aren't grounded in the truth of who God is but they are commonly lived out by our culture and even the church. And yet Jesus says true worship must be rooted in the truth of God. We need to, to worship God for who he truly is. And the way we find truth is through his word. It is not about our experiences, our thoughts, or our ideas about God. It is not about what you heard from your favorite pastor, if that contradicts scripture. It is not about what you read on a nice Instagram post or in a book. It is not about my truth or your truth or his truth or her truth. It is the truth about God found in the word of God. The word of God, the Bible, must dictate the truth about God, and it must inform us about the, about the God that we worship. And so to worship him in truth is to worship him for who he truly is. Then we must worship him in spirit. That might sound a little bit confusing. What does that mean to worship God in spirit? This means that we worship God with the right affections, that our heart is in the right place. I'm going to read you this from a pastor named John Piper. This is how he describes worshiping in spirit. He says, he says this. He says, Worship depends on a right spiritual or emotional or affectional heart grasp of God's supreme value. He goes on to say, he says, You could use words like treasuring or prizing God or delighting in God or reverencing God or being satisfied with God. All of these inner responses to God reflect his infinite worth and beauty. That is what true worship was designed to do put the supreme worth of God on display. So to worship God in spirit is again to worship him with our hearts. It is to deeply delight in God, to be satisfied with him. And this happens as you have a relationship with him. 
This happens as you know the truth about him and delight in who he is and what Christ has done for you. And church, this is what Christ has done for you. Jesus worshipped as we should. He alone lived according to the will of the Father. You and I have not. But in the life of Jesus, we see true worship because he delighted in doing the Father's will. Jesus thought God's miraculous plan of salvation was worth it. He thought it was so worth it that he was willing to give his life for it. And this plan was to bring salvation to you and I, to save us from enslavement to our sins and to restore a new relationship with God the Father through the perfect work of Jesus, his Son. This is what we ought to delight in, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This means that through faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven and you are free to sin no more through the power of God's spirit working in you. What more could you have ever hoped for? This is worth delighting in. This means that your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. Delight in that. This means that you do not need to work in order to earn your salvation. Delight in that. This means that you have been brought into the family of God. Delight in that. This means that the riches of knowing the God of the universe himself are for you to enjoy for eternity. Delight in that. God did this for you. And so Jesus is worth it. He is worth your worship. He is worth giving your entire life for. Being a worshiper means you delight in God. You delight in his word. You delight in communion with him. You delight in his ways. And that is why we associate worship with singing. Because we sing praise to God when we delight in him. Joy will overflow out of our heart. When worship begins in our hearts, it will flow out of us and it flows into our lives in worship and it flows out of our lips in praise. And that brings us to our last point here. Disciples of Jesus worship him with their lives. Let me read for us from the book of Romans. Paul says this in Romans 12, 1 to 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I want to stop right there for a minute. There's another verse, but we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, Paul is saying that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He says, this is your spiritual worship. That might sound a little bit confusing. What is he talking about here? What he's not talking about, what he's not talking about is offering our bodies like an Old Testament sacrifice, right? Although he does use the language of sacrifice, he's not talking about a physical human sacrifice. That should be pretty clear, right? He says living sacrifice. This is not a dead sacrifice. And so what he's saying in this is that with all that you do with your bodies, your living bodies, present that sacrificially in service to God. This is spiritual worship. Everything we do in our life, in our bodies, whether it is taking out the trash or entering data into that spreadsheet that you hate doing, 
Do so self-sacrificially, dying to your selfish desires. When you complain about doing the dishes after dinner or have another fight about who's going to watch the kids, when you make fun of your boss behind her back or procrastinate doing your homework, all of this has to do with worship because it flows out of our hearts and into our lives. And so as disciples of Jesus, in everything we do, we're called to live sacrificially, which is our worship. Paul, he goes on to say this. He says, do not be conformed to this world. So don't live your life just like the rest of this world, but be transformed. Live differently. Live a life in worship to God. How do you do this? He says, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, renewing your mind has to do with knowing the truth of God, knowing who he truly is. So knowing the truth of God leads to worship in the heart, which which, uh, flows out into the transformation of our lives. So disciples of Jesus worship him with our hearts and with our lives. As we wrap up, And as we're looking at this series in discipleship, I want us to to look at this question. How does this fit into our discipleship here at Renaissance? What does this mean for me? What does it look like within our discipleship groups? Well, what we see from Scripture is that followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus worship him with their hearts and with their lives. That means that this is what we should seek in our lives. We should Look to be true worshipers of Jesus in all that we do. We should seek to delight in him in every single area of our lives. We should seek to know him from his word, and we should do this with one another. Last week, David preached for us on the Great Commission that as Jesus rose from the grave before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so if a disciple is a worshiper, go therefore and make worshipers of Jesus. And as we bring this into our discipleship groups and we seek to grow, we seek to grow as worshipers. Ask each other the questions like this. What brings you joy about God in this season? How are you reminding yourself about God's goodness? What consumes the most amount of time, uh, amount of your time and energy? Is that maybe what you're finding your worth in rather than God? How is your prayer life? Do you delight in talking to God? Come to discipleship expecting to be transformed. Expect to grow more and more into a true worshiper of Jesus in both spirit and truth, with both your heart and your life. Expect to delight in Jesus more. We do this together because we don't always feel like delighting in Jesus. We need others to remind us of the gospel, and others need us to remind them of the gospel so that we can delight in Jesus together. This is what God intended. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. So choose to worship Jesus and delight in all that he's done for you and worship him with your whole heart and your life. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. 
It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.